Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. Good afternoon, Natil. How are you? I'm doing good today. It's, you know, not great out there yet weather-wise. The roads are pretty slick on the way down, but I can see the sun. We're getting there. <laughs> Tomorrow is supposed to be a lot better. Tomorrow and through the weekend, we should get rid of the snow, and then we can all go back to... Looking forward to spring again. Flirting with 70s. Yeah. Uh, we, we should know by now in North Dakota not to expect actual spring until the second week of May. But yeah, we always do this. We I don't know why do we're this. all surprised. Right? I, I mean, every spring rolls around. We're like, oh, my God, snow in April. It's like, well, it happens all the time. And that's, that's exactly it. Like, we, we get into April and we get spoiled by, like, two 65-degree weather days. And then yeah, all of a sudden all... it snows and we're like, oh, it's the end of the world! Yeah, but if that didn't happen, we'd all miss the hot takes about global warming on social media whenever we get snow in, like, April or whatever. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, just because it snows in April doesn't mean that global warming isn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, although the flip side of that is just because we have a couple of hurricanes doesn't mean that global warming is a thing. No, Anthropogenic you, global warming's a thing or whatever. I don't know. That whole you, debate you, is... You've got... You don't, don't go down that road. I will get feisty. <laughs> yeah, feisty. I mean, it's... I mean, the problem with that is is we have taken the science of... And, and everybody wants to take their politics and hang a lab coat, a coat on it and say, oh, this is science and it's indisputable and... It's complicated. It's complicated. There's a lot we don't understand about it. A lot of the predictive models, right, that Al Gore was using to say that we weren't going to have a North Pole by now, that all the ice is going to be gone or whatever, they've turned out to be inaccurate. There's a lot we don't know. And I, I think maybe we should all stop pretending that we think we know what we're talking about when we really kind of don't. Well, don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not trying to say in any way that I think that humanity knows why we're experiencing the climate changes that we're experiencing but we can't keep sticking our head in the sand and saying ah no it's it's exactly like it was 100 years ago 150 no, years ago 200 years yeah, ago we should absolutely track it we should study it we should try to understand it i'm just tired of saying i what i'm tired of is the argument that says well we do understand it and now we've got to implement these draconian this draconian tax code and all these regulations and everything because we understand it and it's like well Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. And maybe maybe it's not time to start, you know, doing all this stuff. I'll tell you what really hurts. Like, people like Bill Nye, Bill Nye and Al Gore, people like that are not helping the cause with climate change. If you want people to care about climate change, Bill Nye is not the guy to help you. I love Bill Nye. Have you seen his new Netflix show? I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It's it on my a, list for this weekend. My God. It I'm is embarrassed. It's I'm excited. You can be embarrassed all you want, but I'm excited about it. It's embarrassing. The The reaction that I'm hearing from people is that it's literally making people Trump supporters who weren't Trump supporters before. They're like, this This made me a Trump supporter. Oh, I, I don't know. know if it's, I don't know if it'll go that it's far for me. It's pretty bad. We'll just have to agree to disagree. I feel like we have different tastes on this front, Natil. Well, we we might, but, you know, again, I'm speaking from a place where I haven't actually seen it yet. So check with yeah. me on Monday. And Fair enough. Maybe my opinion will have changed. Tune in Monday for Natil's in-depth <laughs> review of whatever that I forget what it's even called. Bill Nye's show on Netflix, whatever it's called. Uh, let's see. If you want to call in, it's open phones all show today. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. A little bit of news I broke uh, this morning on SayAnythingBlog.com. Um, former U.S. attorney Drew Wrigley, who, of course, was held that position uh, during 
George W. the George W. Bush administration uh, from 2001 and into 2009. He held it for a little while into the Obama administration, if I'm remembering right. Um, some of the appeals stuff with the Drew Shadeen case was going on, and I, I think Wrigley wanted to stay in office a little while for that um, until that you know some of that got resolved. Um, and then he stepped down, and then uh, the Obama administration appointed Tim Purden. Uh, Purden left early in 2015. Uh, since then, they've had sort of an interim guy, uh, Christopher Myers. Uh, he got appointed by he he got appointed by the courts actually in lieu of a presidential appointment. But what I am told is that the Trump administration wants to do their own appointments. They don't necessarily want to leave North Dakota with just a a court appointed U.S. attorney. Uh, and the guy in the mix for that uh, right now is Drew Wrigley. I haven't heard any other names in the mix. I don't know if there might be others out there. There may well be. Uh, but Wrigley is one that I have heard. I wrote all about it at SayAnythingBlog.com. I spoke with him this morning, uh, and his comment about it was essentially no comment. Um, he says he's happy with the work he's currently doing with Sanford. That's who he went to work for after he uh, was no longer lieutenant governor at the end of last year. Uh, and and basically said you know he didn't want to comment on any other uh, you know, possible career changes going forward. So um, that is what it is, kind of interesting news. Um, And the other thing, you know, I spent the first part of yesterday's show talking about this, the situation with the James Patrick Whalen case up at Grand Forks. That was the uh, teacher who ended up pleading guilty to a sexual relationship with a 16-year-old female student. Uh, His attorney during sentencing made an argument that ticked a lot of people off. People were calling it slut-shaming and other other uh, epithets. And, you know, his basic, basically his argument during sentencing, this was not an argument he made in favor of his client's innocence. He was not saying this made his client innocent or mitigated his guilt in any way. What he did make was an argument mid, trying to mitigate sentencing, and the argument he made was that it was a consensual relationship, essentially, with the accuser. Now, he used the words asking for it, which I find regrettable. That is not the way I would have worded that. But as I pointed out yesterday, the law, in fact, requires that factors such as whether or not the accused or the defendant was provoked or facilitated in any way by the victim in committing the crime is a factor in sentencing. It's right there in state law. That is the law. And Mr. Hoy, who has a constitutional mandate to provide his client with a vigorous defense in the face of criminal charges from the state, was using that. It's a it's a relevant fact to the case. The law makes it relevant, and he brought it up. There's nothing wrong with that. The man was literally doing his job. So anyway, letter to the editor today. Uh, from a woman by the name of Cheryl Kula, and I, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. She is the, uh, she says in her letter that she is the aunt of Maggie Wilkin, who identified herself uh, as the alleged victim in the Aaron Canoto case. And her letter, you know, basically calls me out and says that she witnessed Robert Hoy put her niece, Maggie Wilkin, through an eight-hour deposition, and that in her eyes... Uh, This was an eight-hour interrogation used to break the victim down. And she makes a lot of points like that. She invokes Marzi's Law. So I posted a rebuttal at SayAnythingBlog.com because I think she's wrong. I think that in – I I think it's fashionable these days to jump to this conclusion that any questioning 
of an accusation made by an alleged victim is somehow traumatizing or re-victimizing that victim. And I think that is a very dangerous attitude to have. If we are going to be motivated by the goal of, of just outcomes from the criminal justice system, and I want to know what you think about it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. I'm going to dig into this letter a little bit after the break. But what do you think? Are we going too far overboard with things like Marzi's Law and other things to, to the point where we're making it too hard for defendants to question the case against them, co- confront their accusers? I want to hear from you. 888-970-9329-701-293-9000. Email talk at WDAY.com or tweet me at Rob Port. We'll be right back right here on 970 WDAY. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. 888-970-9329. If you want to call in toll-free, 701-293-9000. It's a local number. Email talk at WDAY.com. Or send me a tweet, at Rob Port. So we're, uh, we're talking about this, you know, yesterday, and I talked about this a lot on the show yesterday, this situation with Robert Hoy, uh, defense attorney for James Patrick Whalen, and he is being accused of slut shaming. Listen, this happens, these accusations happen a lot more in, in, in these criminal cases than a lot of people, than maybe you realize. And it, increasingly, it's being deployed by prosecutors, by victims' rights advocates, to where it to me it comes off as an attempt to try to silence the defense right that's what marzi's law was about in a lot of ways is silencing the defense now they disputed that and they claimed it wasn't so but it is and as a matter of fact this letter that i was talking about before we went into the break this letter from a woman saying that she's the aunt of the accuser in the aaron canodal case um, she says in her letter to, to the editor today, responding to my post from yesterday, I quote, I witnessed Robert Hoy put my niece, Maggie Wilkin, through an eight-hour deposition. In my eyes, this was an eight-hour interrogation used only to try and break the victim down. She then goes on later in her letter to say that it is my hope that because of Marzi's law, a victim will never have to go through a deposition lasting eight hours, she said. So... Here's here's the issue, because that is something that Marzi's Law did, is it, it took away, it, it allowed the alleged victim, and that's the, one of the big problems with Marzi's Law, is that it assumes somebody who makes an accusation is, in fact, a victim. That's, I, I mean, even before there's a trial, even before facts are established, we now have in the state constitution that the person making an accusation is a victim. And that, to me, by itself, is extremely dangerous. Because we're assuming that that person is a victim, then we're already assuming that they couldn't possibly be lying. They couldn't possibly be making up the accusation. Because certainly, most or 
yeah, certainly most alleged victims probably are telling the truth. In fact, I, I know they are telling the truth. But some do lie. Or some exaggerate. That is a thing which happens. Which is why in the U.S. Constitution, the accused are afforded the right to confront their accuser. It is a very important right. They are allowed to confront their accuser. And what that implies is they're allowed to rebut the case that the accuser makes. And what is being asserted here, when we, we complain about a defense attorney deposing somebody pre-trial, and we put in our state constitution a victim's right that allows the alleged victim to not be questioned pre-trial, we are limiting the ability of a defendant to confront their accuser. We're saying, well, you can only do that at trial before a jury. And meanwhile, the prosecution gets to interview the victim all they want before the trial. Even the, de- even the defendant a lot of times. Most of the time. You do have a Fifth Amendment right to not incriminate yourself. But, you know, the cops get a chance to try and question the victim, right? Nobody has a problem with the cops putting somebody who they think is guilty of a crime in a room and interrogating them for hours on end. Now, I'm not saying that anybody should be mistreated. I'm worried about the way defendants are treated by the police, right? I think we've seen that in a lot of very high-profile cases where somebody who was accused of a crime gets put in a room and sweated by the cops. I think there's a lot to be concerned about there. And I don't want to put alleged victims in a position where they're going to be intimidated or harassed either. But just as I think that the cops ought to be allowed an opportunity to try to question the defendant, to try to question witnesses, and to try to get them to to say things that will allow them to to arrive at the truth, I think the defense ought to be afforded that same opportunity. And it is heartbreaking. It is scary to have people saying that somehow – questioning the alleged victim is this this horrible thing somehow that's 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 where we're supposed to be at and it's it's infuriating it it turns the entire notion of our criminal justice system on its head because at the end of the day a trial a criminal proceeding against a citizen is about the state trying to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt which means that The job of the defense is to raise that reasonable doubt, right? You're entitled to a vigorous defense. And that vigorous defense means poking holes, creating reasonable doubt in the state's case. And what I hear when people say, well, don't slut shame the victim. If you're questioning the victim, you're harassing the victim, right? If you you question the victim's story, What I hear in that is that we're just supposed to take the accusation. If somebody makes an accusation, we're just supposed to accept it as truth because it's coming from a victim. Well, everybody who makes an accusation is an alleged victim. And if we can't question the victim, how can you confront your accuser? And if you can't confront your accuser, how can we have just outcomes in the criminal justice system? I, I regret the way that Mr. Hoy... In the Wayland case up at Grand Forks, I regret the way, I guess I shouldn't regret it. I'm not the one who said it. I regret the way he said that, though. I wish he hadn't said it, made his case that way. 
But I'm glad this is coming up because this is a discussion we need to have as college campuses are across the nation are holding kangaroo courts uh, that aren't protecting the rights of the accused. As in our criminal justice system, we're moving towards laws which don't protect the rights of the accused. This is a discussion we need to have. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. We're uh, talking about this controversy, and I, I wrote a post yesterday, you know, kind of defending the defense attorney in, in well, not kind of, I defended the defense attorney in uh, the James Patrick Whalen case. I think it is incumbent upon defense attorneys to provide a vigorous defense to their clients, and sometimes that means questioning the credibility of the accuser. Although in this case, the, the comments that, that um, I guess caused all the controversy were part of a sentencing hearing. And he was bringing up factors that North Dakota law sets out shall be considered in sentencing. Uh, among them, whether or not the, 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 uh, the defendant was provoked or whether or not the victim in the crime helped facilitate the crime in any way. Those are factors North Dakota state law says shall be considered. And frankly, I, I think Mr. Whalen's attorney would have been remiss he would have been derelict in his duties to provide a vigorous defense to his client if he had ignored them uh, we got a caller brad just got a comment uh, what's up brad hey rob how you doing today i'm doing all right good um i just got a question uh i don't know if uh, you mentioned it or not but how did all this come out how did uh, the authorities find out about this uh, affair you know, I'd have to go back and look at the case. I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how it came about, honestly. Well, there, I, there I guess I don't a complaint know. Or, uh, I, I, I don't, don't know. Think, I, I don't think anybody's talked about how it, how it came out, uh, came to light, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It. I mean, the, the trial's been ongoing for a while, and I guess thinking back off the top of my head, I can't remember how, how it came to, to the attention of the authorities, but... I mean, for the purposes of this, however it came to the attention of the authorities, um, you know, Mr. Whalen has, 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 James Patrick Whalen has confessed to a crime. I mean, that's that's been the result of, of the proceedings against him. He has confessed to a crime. The fact that his victim, a minor, uh, might have been pursuing him or had a crush on him or facilitated the relationship with him in any way does not make him less guilty of that crime. However, it is a fact of the case and it is something if his defense attorney feels could help his client, you know, whether it's with sentencing or whatever, can help him, then it's something his defense attorney can and should bring up. And that's all I'm saying. The defense attorney's doing his job. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, uh, and if you ever have a chance to uh, catch it on Netflix or something, watch the movie The Crush. It's uh, pretty good about this subject. Yeah, yeah I haven't ever seen that. Thanks, uh, yeah, thanks yeah, for the yeah, recommendation. Check it out. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the thanks for the call, Brad. Appreciate it. Seven oh one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, I I think the point I'm trying to make, and and listen, I I get it. Sometimes the job a defense attorney has to do can seem icky. It's it's not a job everybody can do. Um, you know, because sometimes sometimes you're working for somebody who does, you know, turns out they're guilty. But 
everybody is entitled to that defense. And sometimes defense attorneys have to go places that may, maybe people watching from the outside don't like. But that's part of the system. That's part of the process. And I think it's an important part of the process if we want to reach just outcomes. I don't, I don't know how else we do it. It's, it has to be an adversarial process because, to me, the alternative is the victim makes the accusation and we just believe him or her, as the case may be, uh, because questioning them would be traumatic or re-victimizing or something like that. And that, that is not how we're going to reach just outcomes. It's just not. What do you think? Am I wrong? I don't know that you're wrong. I, however, do know that this particular case is not the best barometer for me of these types of things because I am yeah. I am personally very biased about these types of cases and I understand that I get a lot more emotional and a lot more heavy airing on the side of the victim in these types of cases and and that's a that's a personal bias that I understand that I have so I I know that I'm not being neutral or fair in my assessment of what Mr. Hoy did to get his client less jail time. And, and the, the other part of this, I mean, talking about bias, and it's it's hard, but the public does have a bias about these things. And I talked about this yesterday, but I think it's an important part because while everybody is pillaring, pillaring Mr. Hoy for, I, I guess, what I perceive as defending his client vigorously, while everybody's doing that, you know, it's like nobody wants to talk about the fact that if it's if it's a male student and a female teacher, there is a very large contingent of our society that's all like, uh, uh, you know, boy, what a lucky kid. Right. So, I mean, on one hand, we're saying, well, the attorney can't, you know, bring up anything about the victim. He can't question the victim. I mean, that seems to be this letter to the editor calling me out today. That seems to be the argument that she's making is, you know, we can't question the victim or anything like that. But then on the flip side, it's like we don't even consider male students to be victims at all. That is a enormous double standard. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Linda, you're on. What's up? Yes, I think what we have to keep in mind in these cases, whether it's a male teacher or a female teacher, you know, these have been in the news uh quite a bit the last few years a lot yeah is yeah is that number one uh in addition to being adults in the room they are entrusted with the care of our children and in almost every case it's not that these uh precocious teenagers were victimizing and entrapping and leading on these teachers there's usually grooming going on and there's there's text that get more and more personal and inappropriate sure. hours as time no, goes on. And, and so to then come out in sentencing and say and, and present uh, the victim as some sort of, of femme fatale, you know, leading this poor, innocent teacher on is in itself re-victimizing and wrong. S- I and don't. I, I that's see, but I don't. That's not what happened. Pushback is. It is not appropriate to re-victimize the victim that way. But that's, and to characterize the victim that way. But it's a fact of the case. She did do that. How do you know? Because if that how was established, that was that's how that was that was established. Her. That was established in the case through all the communications and all the evidence that was well, presented at trial. That was established during the case. Is that she had a crush on him 
and she was facilitating the relationship. Now, I agree with you. That does not make him innocent. That does not absolve him of his responsibility as an adult and as a teacher to not have an inappropriate sexual relationship with his, with his student. He is absolutely 100% guilty of that. Now, the defense but, I mean, attorney thought but, uh, bringing, that, yeah. bringing that up is a mitigating factor in sentencing. Now, I don't know if it actually worked or not, but it is a fact of the case, and I don't think we should be jumping on defense attorneys for trying to use facts to provide their clients with the best possible outcome. Okay, I still uh, take issue with your calling that a fact, because if you work with uh, child, and this is not a case of child trafficking, but if you uh, learn anything about it at all, it's that judgment of, of kids at that age is incredibly easily manipulated. And was she a willing partner at the end of all this in their times together? Probably, but what got to that point? So I still, I still find it inappropriate. I know you think there's, uh, it's perfectly fine, but in, you know, it, it is not just, every run-of-the-mill kid or any run, every run-of-the-mill teacher who would do such a thing. And so, well, here's, well I, I yeah. agree. Most teachers don't do this sort of thing. Most adults <laughs> don't have sex with children. It's a disgusting crime, and I'm not defending it. But how do it. you get to that point? I mean, you don't go from zero there's to There's all sorts of ways. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you get to that point. And, and I, I mean, listen, I, I'm not talking about... All I'm saying is that in the criminal justice system, we have got to allow the defense to make their case. And I worry that all this concern about re-victimizing victims and Marzi's Law and all the rest of this is going to make it harder to defend the accused. And throughout his, the history of mankind, the problem we have always had when it comes to erring one side or the other, when it comes to trying to find justice, is we, throughout the history of humanity, have too often erred on the side of the accused. The state too well, often will, has trampled right the rights of the you. accused. And I would say through the history of mankind, we have come way too often on the side of not believing women as victims. That may be true in the past. I think there is an element of that. But all I'm saying is we've got to find a balance. We have got to find a balance between the two situations. And I, I'm afraid that in trying to fix, fix the, the, the inequities of the past, the pendulum is swinging too far in the other direction. Look at what's happening on the college campuses. I mean, you think the kangaroo courts we've established on the college campuses are adjudicating fair outcomes for the students there when they're not allowed access to counsel? They're not allowed to confront their accusers out of fear of re-victimizing them? I don't know, Linda. That doesn't look very fair to me. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report here on 970 WDAY. Just a few minutes left, wrapped up the show. 701-293-9000 if you want to get in. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, I am... I, I don't want to sound, I, I think maybe I sounded too dismissive of Linda's concerns in the last segment. And my point when I was saying that throughout history, the reason why we have, if you read through the Constitution, a lot of the rights in there, a lot of the protections in there are for the accused. And that is because when we wrote the Constitution, we understood that we had a, 
in the past, throughout history, there has been a problem with the accused of any sort of crime having a pretty tough time proving their innocence, right? I mean, a lot of times it was put, you know, the burden was put on them to prove their innocence. Which is why our system puts the burden on the state. The state has to prove your innocence, and they have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And you have all sorts of rights from confronting the victim to not incriminating yourself, evidentiary rights that protect you and try to ensure a just outcome. Now, it's not a perfect system, and as Linda alleged to, we have had a problem in the past with not believing accusations made by women. I mean, some states didn't even believe in marital rape if you were married to a woman it's like it didn't matter if she said no to your sexual advances you could just rape her because you were her husband that is an abhorrent history and we have moved beyond that but we still have to protect against the pendulum swinging too far in the other direction and i'm afraid with things like marzi's law i'm afraid with things like what's going on with the title nine proceedings on the college campuses where we've got kangaroo courts, absolute travesties happening, where we're keeping everything quiet. I mean, it's 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 like the, the actual criminal justice system had too many protections for the accused, so now the federal government has gotten the universities for, for campus crimes to set up this shadow court to adjudicate these crimes in transparently unjust ways. It is going too far in the other direction. I think we need to be sensitive in criminal proceedings to victims. We absolutely do. But there are some things we can't dispense with, and among those is the defense's right to confront the victim, the alleged victim, and their story, to try to poke holes in that story. Because if we don't allow that, then in a criminal case, in a situation like that, where you have a victim accusing the defendant of some sort of a crime, the case is built around that accusation. And if you can't rebut that accusation, then how can you get at the truth? You've got to allow it. And I, re- I get it. Sometimes it's distasteful. Throughout history, we have had defense attorneys who have had to represent all sorts of disgusting people, political extremists, terrorists, racists, Ku Klux Klan members, neo-Nazis. But you know what? They were all entitled to a vigorous defense. And those defense attorneys were entitled to use whatever facts available to them to make the best case they can for the client. Now, maybe the case they make is not always the best case. Maybe a lot of us on the outside look in and say, boy, that's a really bad argument. I don't think that would have convinced me. That argument doesn't make sense. But we've got to allow them the latitude to make those arguments because if we don't, the consequences is an unjust criminal justice system. We spend a lot of time being concerned about victims, right? We don't want to re-victimize them. I get that. I understand that. But is it any less of a travesty if we convict an innocent person for a crime they didn't do because we're so busy siding with the victim that we don't allow them to be questioned? That's what we're doing in a state like North Dakota with Marzi's Law. This is happening in North Dakota. At the Going back to the campus tribunal thing, at the University of North Dakota, there was a student expelled from the campus by a campus tribunal, despite the fact that his accuser was, was found, 
was was wanted at, at at the time, and I don't know how if that, how that was how that ever the charges ever came out. But she was ultimately charged for filing a false police report. And even after the police did that, the police investigated the matter, found that the accuser was not being honest, and yet still the University of North Dakota would not reverse this student's expulsion. How is that a fair outcome? It's not. But it's the sort of outcome you get. When you go too far and you're not protecting the rights of the accused and you're going too far to protect the feelings and the emotions of the victim. It may sound like I'm getting worked up about this or I'm, I'm, I'm going overboard about this, but this is important stuff. And I think maybe it doesn't dawn on a lot of us because a lot of us are never going to touch the criminal justice system. A lot of us are never going to be sitting at that defense table with an attorney. Because most of us are never going to be arrested. Most of us are never going to commit crimes or be accused of crimes. But we could. You never know. You don't know if somebody's going to make a false accusation against you. You don't know if you're going to find yourself in that position. And if you do, I can guarantee you some of the things you want are some of the rights guaranteed you by the Constitution, the right to confront your accuser, the right to a vigorous defense. These are hugely important in our society. And what's ironic is that even as we're going overboard with some of the sexual assault stuff on campus or whatever, even as we're doing that, we're actually getting better. I mean, right here in North Dakota, just, what, like a week ago, Governor Doug Burgum signed a whole bunch of laws aimed at backing off some of the sentencing, easing up on the number of people we're just throwing in jail for whatever reason. That is common sense reform towards trying to build, find just outcomes that help people instead of just throwing people in jail. You know, it's a complicated issue, and I hope I've made my points, but I'm sorry. Defense attorneys are my heroes. I think they're doing great work, and I don't like to see them besmirched, and I think that's what happened with Mr. Hoy. That's it for me today. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Oh, oh, oh.